0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, my name is Marty Plum and I am your host of a Pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Extremely excited for number 60 here, episode number 60, interview number 60 with Eric Behrens, the head boys basketball coach at Omaha Central here in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, but before we get to coach Barrons we of course want to thank our sponsor for the podcast Cosack Chiropractic located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha coaches if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues have them go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at Cosack Chiropractic you can check out their practice at cosackchiro.com that's k o s a k chiro.com or make an appointment by giving them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle. So be sure to follow us there. Uh, obviously, if you're listening here, you're on Spotify or, or SoundCloud, excuse me, or iTunes. Uh, so like, rate, review, give us five stars. We just want to move up the rankings. We want to help coaches hone their craft one day at a time. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach Barrons, how are you this fine Sunday morning, team minus 29-ish hours, until you get to meet your team for the first time since March?
1: Uh, you know, I'm doing well, Marty. I appreciate you having me on. And Tomorrow's day one of practice, so we're uh, we're, we're excited to get going.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, OPS is in a unique situation. We were just talking before we before we came on. Kind of tell me what, or tell our listeners what we talked about, where uh, you are uh, literally jumping. It is literally the first day of practice for you guys and, and, and every other program uh, in the OPS system here and kind of the situation that you guys have been in this fall because of COVID. Yeah, no, we've uh,
1: had certain COVID protocols in place like, like most people have, and in our case, uh, we were fully remote the whole first quarter. Came back to the 3-2 model at the start of the second quarter, which was just a few weeks ago, maybe getting close to a month now. But during that time, we've not been allowed to uh, do anything with our guys. So, and, you know, in a normal year, we typically start um, right after Labor Day with fall conditioning and open gyms and, and different things, uh, you know, fall weeks and, and all that sort of stuff. So we are usually pretty busy with the guys that – don't play football or another fall sport. Uh, but this year, uh, literally, have not been in the gym uh, to do anything. Have not been in the weight room to do anything. So uh, tomorrow is when I say day one. It's literally day one for the whole the whole ball of wax. And so we've got a lot to try to get done in two and a half weeks. With our our first game is on a Thursday, November thirtieth. So um, it, it just kind of cuts down those margins and, and makes every minute of practice that much more critical.
0: Are you going to feel like Gene Hackman in Hoosiers, where you just walk in and take over the team and kind of introduce yourself? (laughs) Well, it won't be quite at that level. We'll probably probably use the ball tomorrow in practice. uh, We've got to get some touches to get
1: ready. But, yeah, it's just a sneak. Obviously, COVID makes everything unique for everybody right now, and and, uh, uh, so that's not a complaint, but we just know that it's a unique situation, and you School year and, and certainly
0: basketball season. You'll, you'll probably have more than six or seven guys in the gym as well. Uh, more than we sure hope so. yeah,
2: yeah.
0: We sure hope so. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, coach, for for the folks that don't know um, about you, about your program, I like to to start out with uh, just just giving my guests an opportunity to introduce themselves, kind of their background, and and how you ended up uh, back at Omaha Central here uh, the last few years um, you know just kind of tell us your about your basketball journey
1: sure sure no I've uh, well I'm a Central High graduate um, I was a 1992 uh, graduate of Central High School um, my last two years my junior and senior year of high school I played for my dad um, and uh, he was the coach actually until I took over um, mm-hmm. his, his last season as the head coach was the 2000 2001 season so my first year um, was 0102 as the varsity head coach. I had come back and been his assistant and JV coach uh, for a few years prior to that. And then when he stepped down, I was able to get the job. And um, like you said, I'm back in Central because I, I did coach at Central before. 13 years and I took the proof State job through State College uh, it's about 60 miles south of Omaha mm-hmm. I took that job and uh, my first season
0: down
1: there was
0: 2014 2015 I did that for three years and then I ended up coming back to Central so I'm starting my fourth season back mm-hmm. uh, you know, after, after leaving for a few yeah um taking over a job is difficult enough um you end up taking over for your dad. Uh, was Did that make it more difficult? Was it easier? Uh, what was that experience like? You know, because obviously uh, very few of us uh, go from just one job and stay there for, you know, 40 years or whatever it may be. And so stepping into a new job is difficult as it is. Uh, but, but what was that experience like, um, you know, like I said, do you think it was easier because you were stepping in, and you were stepping in for your dad, and you had a pretty good institutional understanding, or did you feel kind of some additional pressure uh, taking over for your dad and trying to continue on building the program? Sure. No, that's a great question. Um, I certainly had a good institutional
1: understanding mm-hmm. as, a, as a player and then as a coach. i had been around central in the program for a lot of years. Um, you know, honestly, when I applied for the job, there was actually three jobs in Omaha public schools that opened up, and I was teaching at a middle school, in you know, at that time, but Omaha North, Omaha Northwest, and Omaha Central all opened up, and I applied for all three, kind of thinking that, well, my dad's been the head coach, you know, this is a big district, I, I don't know that, I actually felt like maybe that might hurt my chances, I thought uh-huh. maybe I'd have a better chance at one of the other schools, um. I wasn't quite sure, but it, it worked out that way. I did end up getting the, the job at Central and, and uh, had some experience and some background. And, and my dad uh, really walked away from a, a really good team. My first year, we were we were good. I mean, I stepped right into a, a senior class and a sophomore class that was really good. And, and um, so we, you know, we kind of hit the ground running with uh, what I thought was some some talent. And I thought the program trajectory was on the right course. And so, uh, that was all to my benefit. And then obviously I just stepped in and tried to put my best
0: foot forward and, and put my mark on the program. Yeah. Was there a, a how, how did your dad handle it? What, did he kind of, uh, was he there for, for guidance or, or was he like, Hey, I'm just, I'm completely hands off. This is all yours. I don't want to be involved. Um, I was there for guidance, but he, he pretty much stepped away at that point. I mean, he, uh, you know, he had done it. He had been a coach, uh, first at Tech High School, which mm-hmm. uh, closed in nineteen eighty four and then he had moved over to Central and so he had been a long time, you know, assistant or then horse head coach and most of his career and I think at that point he was just ready to focus on other things and, and uh but he was always there for guys to bounce things off of, but for the most part, um, you know, kinda of just let me and my staff do our thing. Sure, sure. So you uh you went on one of the legendary runs uh, of, of any program uh, at, at, at any level um, of the state, uh, let alone Class A boys' basketball, which for those of you that don't know, uh, Class A is the biggest class here in Nebraska. Uh, you win seven titles in in eight years, and you had some uh, tremendous players, uh, the Jones kid that went to, to Creighton, uh, Acol, uh Tradion Hollins, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, on down the line. And obviously, you win games with... You know, there's no great coaches without great players, obviously. We all know that. Um, but one of the things that I was uh, always really, really impressed with with your teams watching them from afar was uh, the unselfishness of your teams and the way that they bought into their roles. I mean, you, you had a, a real juggernaut role in there, uh, but your leading scorers were only averaging 11, 12, 13 points a game. Where you know a lot of these guys, uh, like I said, ended up with Division One uh, scholarships, uh, NBA runs, uh, G League type of stuff. Uh, how were you able to sell the the concept of buying into a role with so much talent uh, around uh, th- this entire team, where a lot of guys could have been like, "Well, where's my shots? Where's uh, where's my where, where's mine?" Essentially, or as Riley calls it, the disease of me. Uh, how are you able to 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 contain all of that and and keep it all together and and keep the team focused on just winning ball games and not worrying about your stuff?
1: Sure, no, um, well, some of it's good fortune that we were able to get the right types of players in the program. I mean, you can't sell that to everybody, um, and I think one of the things, and, and you're right, that you know, we had. Uh, McCoy Gow and Tradio Hollins and K.J. Scott. I mean, our, you know, we would average, our starting five would average 12.9, 12.4, 11.9, 11.6. I mean, and these were guys that if they had gone individually to another team that maybe didn't have quite the talent, probably were all 20 to 25 point a game scorers. So they certainly mm-hmm. were sacrificing some individual mm-hmm. statistics.
0: Um, but I think we just had players that had a mentality of buying in um, I think as a program, um, I, you know, I, I would like to think that we tried to sell it as best we could, but yeah. but I give the players a
1: lot of credit for that. And, and one of the things, my thing is, in you know, LPS, in our district, I mean, you can go to any school you want, pretty much, and mm-hmm. so if a guy was really worried about, I want to come in and I want to average 25 a game and do this and that, that you know, they probably would choose to go to a school that didn't have as much talent where they could have the ball in their hand all the time and get as many shots as they wanted. And so I think the fact that they chose to come to Central, mm-hmm. knowing that we had more talent in our building at that time, there, there's a couple things there. They, they might not get the, the varsity experience as early. You know, some mm-hmm. guys want to come in and be suiting up as a freshman or starting as a sophomore or, or whatever, and they knew that, that they, they might have to wait their turn a little bit more. Um, so that initial decision probably tipped you off somewhat to their mentality. Mm-hmm. And then I think they just saw that, um, the, the, the attention that we received at the program because of the winning mm-hmm. was, uh, more impressive than maybe they had a buddy that was going to a school that was, you know, they went 5 and 18 that year and he averaged 22 a game. Well, their, their name certainly wasn't getting in the paper as much as our guys were. Averaging twelve points a game because we were winning so many games and the notoriety that our programmers received. seeing, I think they, I think they saw that and they bought into that and they realized that we could do some special things as a team and they could be a part of that. Mm-hmm. So I think they they saw that big picture. Um, and the other thing is, I think with you know by that time, most guys I feel like realized that a lot of the recruiting stuff happens in the summer with AAU. And you're going to get seen in gyms in April and in July by Division One, Division Two coaches. And to be honest, they're not necessarily concerned with your high school scoring average. They're mm-hmm. evaluating on a lot of other areas that if they think they, that you could play at their level or not doesn't really come down to how many points you averaged on mm-hmm. your high school team last year. So I think our guys were intelligent enough to know that. And I think the combination of factors um, certainly helped us you know
0: have that kind of buy in like you said but but I, I do think when you when you're talking about that next level stuff um, it, it, what what the guy you know just as well as i do what those uh, what the coaches do at the next levels is everybody has a role and just like with your team you're going to probably have two or three guys that are going to do the lion's share of the scoring then everybody else fills their role uh, and and the you know the same things going to happen at the next level and i think what would make uh, you know, combining the two things is if I'm a college coach and I look at uh, a Trayshawn Thurman, let's say, and he uh, averages only twelve points a game, but I know that's a kid that's comfortable with his role and is worried about winning. And sometimes those kids are harder to f- the talented kid that's only worried about winning. Winning is sometimes harder to find than the talented kid who can get buckets. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, you're right. You don't have to. As a college coach, you don't have to break
1: them of the habit of I was the go-to guy on my high school team, and I was able to touch the ball and shoot the ball virtually any time I wanted because I was so much more talented than my teammates. Our guys weren't so much more talented than their teammates, and we had a high level of talent across the board. So, yeah, it probably made that transition for them easier because they were used to, you know, I got to box out, and I got to defensive rebound, and I got
0: to help my team win in other ways because I'm not. Always going to have the ball in my hand and, mm-hmm. and be the go-to guy offensively. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, you you had it really, really rolling there. Uh, just some, just some Im- impressive, impressive teams. Uh, some of the best teams that the that the state has ever seen, uh, and then you you make the decision uh to move on to coaching at the collegiate level and and like you said you went down to Peru State which is a NAIA division 1 school about 60 miles south of of Omaha so you're still within a stone's throw of Omaha um what uh what 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 was the decision-making process there? Was that something that you were looking to do, or was it something that, you know, came along and and somebody inquired about your interest and you kind of went from it from there? Um, what was your thought process with that move?
1: Yeah, no, was, I think it was something that came along. I mean, I've been in Central for 13 years. Uh, I knew at that point in time, you know, we had just come off that run. My last year, we... Uh, had a good team, but it was uh, Trayshawn Thurman's team leader but the rest of those 2013 guys that had gone on that four-peat had all graduated, and um, so I, I knew that we were probably, not. I wouldn't say in a rebuilding mode at Central, but we, we certainly weren't at the same level, and then I think the, um, just the opportunity to coach at the college level, and the, the, Uh, as I talked to the athletic director down at Peru State, some of the people involved, it was really intriguing to me Um, and so, yeah, I made that decision I was, uh, made the jump down to Peru and really enjoyed it the college level um, is is a ton of fun to coach at I Uh I really like the shot clock basketball, I loved recruiting Um, there was a number of things that I truly enjoyed, I mean, Peru was um, had not been they just hadn't been really good for uh, a number of years, and, and I felt like we were able to turn that thing around pretty quickly. And, um, you know, we, we were conference champions my second year down there. And, um, yeah, I certainly really enjoyed my two years down there mm-hmm. and the whole process of, of getting a coach at the collegiate level. And uh, the people at Peru were great, and I a young man, I was able to recruit right down there. I just,
0: I had a fantastic time. Mm-hmm. For... What was the biggest difference between the high school game – or the biggest differences, I should say. More than, I'll give you the opportunity to give more than one answer on this one, Coach. Uh, the biggest differences between the high school game and the, and the college game. Uh, what, was the biggest, uh, what were the biggest adjustments? Well,
1: I think that in the life of the game, you know, you've got a 40-minute game versus 32. Uh, but surely, I feel like managing foul trouble – Mm-hmm. certainly different uh, because you're basically playing an additional quarter mm-hmm. of basketball versus the high school game. So, you know, some high school coaches, if a guy gets two fouls in the first few minutes or even in the first half, we'll sit him out. Not everybody. Some people let you go till three fouls. But
0: college game, there's just so much more time left. You know what I mean? If you yeah. pick up a couple early fouls in the mm-hmm. first eight minutes, well...
1: Instead of 24 minutes left, there's 32. So there's just an additional time factor uh, with foul trouble. Uh, the start clock changes a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the reason I say that is there's so many possessions in the college game where it gets to a point where you have to make a play. Yeah. You just have to make a play. In, in high school, that only happens at the end of quarters when mm-hmm. you end of the game. Yeah somebody basically has to go make a play at a medium. And in college, it can happen depending on how fast you play and how many, how many possessions you you know, play toward the end of the shot clock. It can happen 15, 20 times a game. When mm-hmm. somebody has the ball, there's eight seconds left on the shot clock. And it's like, okay, we've got to go make a play. So you've got to have players that have the ability to create something after you've run your actions, you run a set, or you know, your on or whatever you're
0: in at some point it's go time. And that just doesn't happen in the high school game nearly as much. So
1: that, that I think is, is another big difference. Then, probably the third thing is this, everybody's a college basketball player. Yeah. Everybody's been recruited. You know, in high school, um, a lot of coaches have the, you know, don't guard the dork mentality where, hey, this guy can't shoot, and we're so we're gonna we're, we're, we're gonna not let him. You know, we're gonna make him beat us and not guard him. And we're gonna keep in I, I
0: I saw that defense quite a bit, by the way, when I was playing. <laughs> you
1: know, in high, in, in high school, people gotta put players out there, and not all of them is basketball. Maybe their best sport. You know, you might be having your. Your linebacker on your football team is your is your four man, and are just out there to rebound and play good defense, hustle, and but maybe they are not as skilled an offensive player, and, or you know a girl that's um, a softball and volleyball player first and plays basketball in the winter. I mean, so in in high school, the 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 the, the, the chances that all five
2: people on the floor are skilled basketball players is less, less mm-hmm. than
1: college game the chances that all five players on the floor for your opponent at a given time is, is much greater. You mm-hmm. know? So there's, yep. much, there's a, there, it's much tougher to implement those types of, they were not going to guard this person or that person um, type of thing in the college game. I would say.
0: Yeah. What did you feel uh, you were prepared for? What, you know, once you got going into it, it was like, okay, I got, I got this part of it.
1: Now, say that again, like at, at,
0: like like when when you got into it, like you know, people focus on, you know, the shot clock and the and, and things like that. Uh but what did you feel like, you know, pretty much from day one? You know what, I'm I'm ready for this aspect of the job from day one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
1: sure. No, I mean I think coaching is building relationships, getting guys buy in, um you know, developing uh, the atmosphere, the, the culture of your team. And I think that stuff carries over regardless of level. So I certainly felt comfortable with those components. I, I liked my guys. I felt like the guys that we had were, they bought in the, much the same as you were saying about some of our central teams. Um, so from that aspect, I really felt ready. I mean, actually, you know, there's some, the, the league that we were in at, at, at the, state, the heart of America, there's some. There's multiple coaches that have won national championships or in Hall of Fames in their states, and it was a really, really well-coached week. But, you know, I feel like Class A basketball in Nebraska is a really well-coached, um, you know, level of basketball. And So I think there's good coaching, and I think that I've been, you know, preparing teams for years and that's what I felt like were good coaches. So I think there's a lot of carryover. Basketball still basketball. There's a lot of similarities. Um, but, you know, what I talked about,
0: were probably the, some of the differences that stood out to me the most. Mm-hmm. What What advice would you give uh, a young high school coach uh, that might be looking to make that leap that you made for those three years, whether it's to go from a, uh, a high school head coach to a, to a college assistant somewhere uh, or, or anything along those lines? If, if you're looking to make that leap and you, you made that leap, um, wh- what advice would you give to someone?
1: Um, I mean, you know, I think you just got to study the situation to make sure it's a good fit for you. And, and uh, it's a different type of job. Most of us, most of us at the high school level, the basketball or the sport that we coach is is secondary. We might get a stipend for coaching, but the, the bulk of our salary is our day job, or our classroom mm-hmm. teaching, or, or or what we're doing in the building. When you go to the college level, that's kind of reversed. Yeah, you, know, you might have some other. Some other responsibilities on campus. However, the basketball part is the full-time job. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's there's a little bit of a, a reversal there, mm-hmm. I think, of what you're spending the bulk of your time on. Although I know most high school coaches uh, of, of every sport spend countless hours uh, on, on their sport, and, and certainly basketball coaches are no exception. Yep. A lot of those hours are what we would call uncompensated hours. <laughs> I think we spend a lot of time
0: thinking about it and working on it without giving uh, any financial reward back from uh, the districts that we work for. But that's because
1: we love it. You yep. I mean, we do it for different reasons. Uh, but I just think that the job kind of flips at the college level, if that makes sense. I mean, it's yep. pretty much full-time um, recruiting, coaching, monitoring of your team, you know, academics, uh,
0: study halls, weights. I mean, it's all basketball. Mm-hmm. You have time during the day to... You know, we, we would do, you know, small group skill
1: work during the daytime when guys had breaks from class and stuff like that. So it's just, it's a different job. Yep. Um, and, and just be prepared for that mentally if you're going to make that change.
0: The, the, uh, the hours that we put in um, that, we, that we don't get paid for, I, I just popped into my head. Uh, like if we were lawyers, we could make those uh, billable hours, I think is what they, is what they call it in the, in the legal field. Um, yeah. And, and we, we'd be doing okay. You know, if, if that were the case,
1: okay. <laughs> I agree. I, I would say most of us could probably, you know, for the hours
0: we put in. I'm talking year round you know, mm-hmm. camps and cheer, and yep. just even. I mean, most of us could probably go work the drive-through at McDonald's and probably
1: make more money in a year during those same hours than we do um, the, the stipend that we get from our schools for coaching. But but uh, again, it's a passion. We do it for yep. a different reason, and, and coaches do it because they love it, and that's what they. That's
0: what they want to do. And most of us have made it our hobby as mm. well as our job. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent agree with you. Um, what uh, you know, one of the things, uh, perhaps the the most famous player that has come out of your program is uh, Akolagao, uh, who was recruited nationally. He was a top. 15 to 25-ish recruit, depending on which service you are watching. Uh, But but I think the the greater story uh, comes from just the community that he comes from, uh, the South Sudanese community, which uh, for a lot of people that don't know about Omaha, is a very, very Omaha is kind of a haven uh, for these South Sudanese refugees who have have fled uh, civil conflict and civil war in Africa and are just looking to make a better uh, life for themselves and their families. Uh, and, and that community has had a huge effect on your program uh, throughout the years. Uh, talk to the talk to our listeners about. Uh, this community of people, uh, what they've meant to your school overall, what they've meant to your programs, some of the things that these folks have been through uh, just to, to live the American dream. Because I think it's a fascinating story. It's kind of an underrated story uh, here in the city of Omaha. And and just kind of, like I said, the modern American dream being put into effect. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you mentioned the Koya gal
1: who, you know, obviously was was one of our most high profile players that we've had and and especially during that run. Uh, but yeah, it's a you know, his family was a refugee family like many of the South Sudanese in Omaha that fled civil war and, and, um, most fled to other countries initially left Sudan and went to Egypt or other bordering countries, um, stayed in refugee camps for, you know, sometimes a year, sometimes two, um, Typically had to find sponsors to come to the United States and, um, and then for whatever reason, Omaha has an exceptionally large South Sudanese population. I think we're one of the largest in the country. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we've, we've had a number of, of players in not only at Central, but in other Omaha schools. And, um, you know, t- typically just really hardworking kids from great families that, like you said, are really pursuing the American dream, and our, our, you know, mom and dad are working um, tough jobs a lot of times, you know, um, and and like a lot of immigrant families working, you know, kind of those some of those jobs that a lot of us Americans don't want to take on, some of the meatpacking plant type of jobs and things like that is very mm-hmm. common mm-hmm. in that community, and so you've got just really hardworking, uh, traditional families that you know, and, and they're their young people have really taken to basketball so that it's had a big impact not just on Omaha Central like you said but,
0: mm-hmm. but a bunch of schools Omaha in the Omaha South, community. yeah yeah, Omaha mm-hmm. South, Omaha Bryant, yep. um, Omaha North their best player last year was a Sudanese uh, American kid so yeah a bunch of schools in the Omaha area have um,
1: seen that community really you know uh, come about I'd say and come around and develop and grow Population-wise, but then as as basketball coaches, we've just seen that influx continue over the last, really, couple of decades, I think, and now mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of just a staple. Um, it's not unusual anymore
0: to see, you know, some South Sudanese players on a number of Metro teams. Like last year, Papio South, or two years ago, um, had a really good kid that went out to Oregon. I mean, yep. so... Yeah, it's become very common. It's really spread throughout the metro area. Do you think those kids, and, and because of their family's background, have a, a bit more of a? And I, I'm painting with a broad brush here, Coach, but but they have a a little bit more of a drive sometimes, and maybe a little bit more of appreciation for the game based on on their family's experiences and the journeys that they've been on.
1: I mean, yeah. It's you know, it's 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 hard to paint any
0: thing with a broad brush sure. in terms of, yep. of people, because there's obviously individual cases. But I think in
1: general, there's an appreciation for the opportunity um, that that basketball is an outlet. Basketball is for many of these young people, they see it as an opportunity for a college scholarship and in a in a, in a way to belong and a way to thrive in a new you know in a new community, a new country um in a new culture. So there's there's been a lot of really positive stories, a lot of young men and women um, that going on to college and, and doing great things with their lives. I mean a Cory Gal, for example, just to mention him, I mean he's got multiple college degrees at this point. He yeah. <laughs> he ended up transferring a few times at the collegiate level, but I mean he's got like a bachelor's degree from, you know, SMU, and a master's degree from Georgetown, and a degree from Louisville, like, he's like three degrees into it at this point, <laughs> you know what I mean, and just basketball, and he's an intelligent kid, so I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened without basketball, mm-hmm. but basketball really provided that financial piece that allowed college to get paid for it, he was able to use
0: basketball, you know, for the betterment of his own life, and, and, and mm-hmm. really taking advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, and that's, and that's all you can – with all of our kids, you know, uh, if, if you're good enough, let basketball take you places that maybe you wouldn't have an opportunity to go because basketball is only going to be there for so long, so take advantage of it while you can. And, and that's a way that you can sell that to your players, whether it's men's, women's, small town, big town, whatever it may be, uh, it, it can be a way to, to help improve your life and make it even better. Absolutely. Yep. All right, Coach, we're going to transition here. Uh, First of all, we want to talk about uh, one of the things that that I've started using here the last few weeks. It is teachhoops.com. Want the opportunity to have a hands-on mentor to help you hone your craft as a basketball coach? Look no further than teachhoops.com, a place where coaches go to get better. Coach Steve Collins shares his three decades of coaching knowledge with his subscribers through resources like podcasts, one-on-one mentoring sessions, and much more with teachhoops.com. Go to teachhoops.com backslash A-P-A-A-N. That's a pen and a napkin, the initials, a pen and a napkin, where subscriptions start at $34.99 a month. When you sign up, you get a 14-day free trial. So combine teachhoops.com with a pen and a napkin to help make you the best coach that you can be. So there's a little something there. Uh, coach, We at this time when we transition, we, uh, we throw out a, a quote every week, uh, the Don Meyer quote of the week or the quote of the day, excuse me, the Don Meyer quote of the day. So uh, I'm going to throw a quote out there, Coach, and and this is one of the things we're kind of planning on talking about anyway. So uh, after I get done with the quote, if you want to comment on on it at all, feel free to do so, okay? Sure. Uh, Don Meyer, quote of the day is, Quickness, more than anything else, should determine the amount of ball pressure you apply. Makes a lot of sense.
1: (laughs) Um. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't agree with Coach Meyer more in that case. I think that uh, you know, with the the, the level of, of of quickness of your team certainly determines whether or not you can be out, be up in the on the ball, out in the passing lanes, uh, because you have to have that ability to bother, mm-hmm. you know, the, both the players with the ball in their hands and uh, and get out, and deny passing lanes and things like that. If you're if you've got a team that's a little slower footed. Uh, you might have to give a step, you know, play gaps, uh, do some different things. So um, I, I really couldn't agree more with that. I, I have a team this year that's going to, we're going to start five guards. We really don't have any size at all um, uh-huh. in our program. So um, certainly will hold true for us this year, we
0: think. You, you You really are Coach Normandale in the Hickory Huskers this year with, <laughs> with, with, with five guards. Hopefully, one of them's Jimmy Chitwood. <laughs> well um, we've got some good players i, I don't know about the chipwood as
1: far as uh, being a knockdown shooter like that but we certainly have some guys that I think are pretty good and um have a good team we're excited
0: about oh very good um so let's let's stay with defense let's talk transition defense that's uh, one of the things that you said you wanted to uh uh chat about here this morning um so you know talk to our listeners uh, t- talk about your defensive philosophy your transition defensive philosophy uh, what you guys like to do maybe full court getting up and down here uh, I'm just going to turn it over to you coach and, and and let you cook a little bit and if if questions pop up in my head I might throw something in there uh, but just go ahead and talk to us about what you, what you guys teach at, at Omaha Central and what you're planning on doing this year perhaps or what you've done in the past just just tell us about your, your transi- transition and, and full court uh, defensive philosophy
1: yeah, well, it's, it's one of the things that we emphasize the most. I think statistically there is no doubt that scoring five against five is much harder than scoring five against two, three, or four, or any other number. Um, yep. the, the, the more guys you can get back, the more guys you can get organized, uh, the better off your chances are going to be. You know what I mean? In mm-hmm. terms of stopping the opponent. We know that in terms of field goal percentage. We know that in terms of defensive points per possession you know, basically every statistical category says that you can make them play five against five as much as possible, it's to your advantage. So we really emphasize transition defense. We, we, um, we use the terminology sprint, talk, and match. Um, we really try to just turn and get back as quickly as possible. You know, we really emphasize communication and transition because it's probably one of the most important times uh, for, for players on the floor to talk to each other because it can be much more of a scramble um we 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 are big in the belief that it's not necessarily who you guard but that five of us guard five of them we get cross matched all the time in transition we're not that worried about that um because if we're worried about just finding the player that coach you know drew up on the whiteboard in the the, the locker room before the game Mm
0: -hmm. guard number 32 well if 32 is on the opposite side of the floor and i'm stopping the ball right now it makes absolutely no sense for me to beat the ball and run across the point guard number thirty-two. So that 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 is that is something. I'm sorry that, that is something that is so hard to teach sometimes. I've coached girls for most of my career. And well, well, that's not my that's not my player. I, you told me to guard thirty-two, and and it's like no, just just a bad matchup is better than no matchup at all. So stop the ball. Absolutely. Yep. So. No, I, I say that all the time. I, it, it's much more important that five of us guard five of them than it is that,
1: that, that we have a, a, an individual player assigned. And that, to me, that's an indie change from offense to defense, whether it's a, a, a live ball turnover, a missed shot, even a made shot, if, it does, if it's if the opponent playing fast. We just get back and, and, and we try to, see, like I said, we sprint, talk, we match. And mm-hmm. communication is the biggest key. Now, if my... Point guard is five six, and they end up guarding a six a six post player. Then, if we get if we get the brakes put on, then we'll switch when there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. if all of a sudden, we're we, we're on the weak side, and 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 my point guard and my post are kind of mismatched, and they can talk to each other they're like, okay, let's let's flip it now and get back to a, a, a better sized matchup for each of us. We'll do that, but it's not our priority. So, you know, it's just an emphasis for us from day one of practice. Some of the first live. Drills that we do really our transition defensive drills, and it's something that I never stop emphasizing throughout the year. Even when we press, you know, our biggest thing, the, the the most important thing we teach out of our pressing is the transition piece, the chase. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not willing to run, or if, you know, if you're running a diamond press, a one-two-one-one, one, one, and you're going to trap the first pass, if the ball gets out of there, which it does. 95% of the time, maybe 99% of the time, I mean, you're not just stealing the ball every time you trap somebody. They're typically getting it out. If you're not willing to sprint, then we just... I mean, I just tell my guys, like, I want to press, but if you won't sprint out of the press, then we're not pressing. Yep. Then it's detrimental to us. Instead of an advantage, it becomes a disadvantage. Yeah. Because now 95% of the game, if you two won't sprint, we're going to just be playing five on three. Mm-hmm. And five on three is... That's helping our opponent. It's not helping us. So we're not going to do that. So we do a number of different defense drills, so both from stationary starts. We do it out of live ball pressing stuff. We do it off of quick change stuff, where we, we you know simulate a turnover. Uh, but really, with those with that same emphasis all the time. Sprint talking match. Sprint talking match. My guys probably get tired of saying that, but um, we, we talk about it all the time, and, and we talk about you know, getting the paint. I mean, we have certain terminology that we use in transition. I got the hole. We have one guy that constantly says, I got the hole, which is like the rim protector. They're going to get back and make sure we don't give up a layup first. We make sure we get the ball stopped. Um, and then it's kind of like identify the problem from there. You know, the, if their two guard is a knockdown shooter, and he's running down the right side of the floor, and the ball's coming down the right side that's probably the next problem. And we mm-hmm. want to make sure that we, you know, it, it, it can vary from team to team, but we really try to use common language and talk about those things and, and different drills and, and different things that we do. And, and this year, you know, like, for example, like we were talking about, we haven't done as much Work uh, up to this point. We're probably doing a lot more live stuff, just because I think we have to play basketball in practice um, mm-hmm. to get ready for a game in two and a half weeks. So we'll just use a lot of that same night. Which even when we're doing
0: live stuff, we might do some short, uh, short scrimmages to seven or something. And but, but we're gonna, you know, use the same common language as we were if we were just running through a drill that was emphasizing transition defense. Two uh, two questions um, in your. In your uh, philosophy, uh, do you, uh, and, and it may vary from year to year uh, as well, uh, do you have designated guys that get back, like no matter what, you're not going to the glass? Is it a spatial thing where, well, if, if you're below the free throw line, go crash. If you're above the free throw line, get back. Uh, what are your rules when it comes to that stuff, and, and why do you have that in place?
1: Yes. I, we typically, let's say it's just that a typical
0: year, really, yep. you know. We yep. have a normal kind of. <laughs> we might have one post player that's a little bigger, and one that guard
1: that's a little smaller. Our one and two get back. Typically, our point guard and our two guard. Like mm-hmm. We number our guys one through five, like probably most people do. Normally, ninety percent of the time, we are saying one and two are back on the shot. Mm-hmm. And that way, to me, if one's at the rim scoring a layup, then at least I know two's back. You know what I mean? So yep. like. So uh, there are coaches that have different philosophies. There are, are coaches that say if you're below the foul line or, or whatever. I just try to take all the variables out of it and literally just say, you know, Joe and Paul, you two guys are back on the shot. Mm-hmm. And and that way, if one of them is at the rim, if one of them falls down, if one of them, um, you know, is down on the baseline, and is, I mean, they are the guys that are first responsible. So we'll send three to the glass and two back. Typically. Mm-hmm. It's not a given across the board. There's times that we'll send four to the glass. Um, there's times where, you know, we look at numbers at halftime and we have zero offensive rebounds and you have given up 14 points in transition. We, I might tell everybody to get back. We're, <laughs> we're doing a poor job. If there's, no, if there's no reward, you know what I mean, by going to the glass, um, if you're not getting any offensive rebounds, if you're not causing any problems for the opponent and you're giving them runouts, or you're not doing a good job the other way. We'll just
0: keep throwing guys back. Go from two to three to to whatever number we have to. Mm-hmm. And then you you referred to. Uh, I, by the way, I I I would like to be a fly on the wall in that locker room. If if you've gotten zero offensive rebounds and, and given up 14 <laughs> points in transition, I bet that was a pretty interesting one-sided discussion. I'm sure. So, sure. Um, but. Uh, you, you talked about drill work and some of the things that you're planning on, and I, and I think it's a a good thing to talk about to to help everybody. Again, you referred to your own COVID situation. We talked before we started about what I've gone through in, in my school, um, getting players up to speed as quickly as we can without the usual buildup, but yet we're going to be playing competitions here in two and a half weeks. Um, What are some of those drill works? What are some of those live scrimmage ideas that you guys have, have thought out and put into place at least tentatively uh, to get your teams up to speed and working on defensive transition in that, uh, in in your situation? Yeah. So uh,
1: one of our staple drills we do, we call five on three plus
0: two. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll take, Let's call ourselves white and purple. Because mm-hmm. That's our colors. Yep. So the white, the whites are spread
1: out across the free throw line. The purples are spread out across the baseline. They're, they're, they're up there. I mean, all the way across. So, you know, there's maybe a guy in the middle under the basket. There's a guy halfway to the three point line on either side. And then there's a guy probably out by the three point line and they're, and they're facing each other. They're opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm the coach with the basketball. I'm at the free throw mm-hmm. line somewhere in between those guys and I'm going to throw the ball to a guy on the baseline, and I'm going to call a guy's name. Now, if I throw the ball to your guy, to the guy that's opposite you, you have to sprint and touch the baseline. Mm -hmm. If I call your name, and I'm not going to call the same guy's name. I'm going to make sure I call. So if if Joey is right across from the guy that I throw the ball to, then I'm going to call Paul's name so that he also has to sprint and touch the baseline. The offense is just going to push and play. They're just going to sprint the floor, and initially they have a five-on-three because there's two there's two white shirts. The purple is going with the ball. Three of the whites are going to what we said are, are common languages. They're going to sprint, talk, and match. One of them says, I got the hole. One of them says, I got the ball. The third guy is just going to identify what's the problem. And what they're trying to do is put the brakes on the five of them until – Joey and Paul can touch the baseline and sprint, and we can get back into a five-on-five situation. Mm-hmm. That drill a lot. Mm-hmm. I really like it because it simulates two things. It simulates our... We get two guys back on the shot, um, but when we press, we, we like to diamond press and do other things. Like when we press, we end up with... Um, a lot of times, if you trap, and they get it out of the trap, like I said before, you'll end up with two chasers, and, and we want to kind of simulate that. So... We, we do that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the drills I like um, to do quite
0: a bit. And sometimes we'll say, we do it various ways. Sometimes we keep score. We alternate and we keep score. And, and when I say score, it's stops. We count stops as points. Mm-hmm.
1: So we might play, oh, we I like might that. play three stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you, you make a basket, it's nothing. It, 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 but if you get a stop, you get a point. And we have a manager like with a little... score score clock on the side and so we'll play to three or some days we might say okay whites to get off defense you got to get three stops in a row or you know what I mean we we mix it up a little bit but um but but that's one thing that I certainly like to do Mm -hmm. um as a transition defensive drill five on three plus two yeah um there's another one that we'll call change um Where where the offense will just like say we're a motion offensive team, they're just going to run motion. But as 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 they run motion, um, they're not really looking to score. And I usually only have them maybe make three, four, five passes. You know, eight to ten seconds. Coach blows the whistle. Um, We we, we've done it a various ways, but either the guy with the ball just drops it, and the entire team sprints. And so purple has the ball. If, if I had the ball in my hands and the coach with a the whistle, I just drop the ball when I'm at. My whole team sprints white. The closest guy just gets the ball and we push the other way. And It's just like a quick change drill. We do it another way when we call it coach, where if I have the ball, I actually pass it to the coach who's over on the side. We sprint, and then the coach is just going to throw it right back to a white that's kind of sprinting the floor and we're going the other way. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's also just
1: like a quick change, quick change uh, transition type of drill that we like to do
0: yeah the uh the five on three plus two uh we call it call the name transition uh but that would be if if I was on a desert island and I was you know could only use three drills with my team uh that would be one of them i I think that's one of the the best drills that you could it just teaches so much, but yet you can control the situation and bring out multiple teaching points depending on what happens within the flow of the drill. You can let it go as long as you want. You can let it go as short as you want. That That's definitely one of my favorites as well, Coach. So I like that one. Oh,
1: it's good. And it's, it's unpredictable because the offense, we don't give our offense as rules. It's
0: yep. just, just push the ball and try to score. Yep.
1: So they, they're, they're just, you know what I mean? So it's very unpredictable and something different can happen every time, which is how the game is played. And it just, it, it creates some thinking and some decision-making and it, it, it really shows you how
0: important the communication piece is and talking defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah well we've we've talked about 12-13 uh, minutes on defensive transition let's talk about beating defensive transition with good offensive transition for a little bit here if that's all right with you coach. Absolutely. All right. So let's let's flip it around. Let's let's go to the other side of the ball here, and uh, just kind of the same thing here. Talk about what you guys do with your offensive transition and and pushing the ball up and trying to get easy shots before the defense gets set.
1: Sure. No, we we like to play fast. We want to push the ball. Um, in a typical year, we, we, we'll number our guys like I said, one through five, and we run a numbered break. Um, you know, we have our. If our, our five is a rim runner, our four is a trailer, our two runs right, our three runs left, our
2: one is the outlet, that brings the ball up, um, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, that made shot, for sure. Miss shot, depending on personnel, it mm-hmm. depends, you know, like, we don't force everybody to throw an outlet pass
1: if I have you know, three guys with point guard skills, I might say, you know, A, B, and C. If you guys get a defensive rebound, bring it. If I'm the point guard and I don't get the ball, but I see that, you know, uh but one of those guys, one of those guys that has point guard skills got the ball, I'm just gonna fill. We're just gonna sprint and go. Um this year we'll actually start five guys with point guard skills. Mm -hmm. We may not throw an outlet pass on them on a miss shot. (laughs)
2: Just
1: say, Just get out and go Mm -hmm. because we don't have any post players. All of our guys if they were being recruited collegiately, we probably have five guys that would be recruited. I don't even know if any of them would be recruited as a three or a small forward. They might all be recruited as point guards or two guards at the collegiate level. So I don't know the necessity of us um, throwing a outlet pass on a on a on a missed shot. Will be there this year, mm-hmm. but we're gonna try to we're gonna try to sprint. We try to play wide. We try to run to the corners. Um, we we try to really space the defense out early if we don't have anything initially um, on the on the strong side. We certainly want to get the ball to change sides of the floor. Um, if we have a good post player, we we obviously want them to run to the rim to seal. That would be our first look if I had a Koya Gal or a TreShaun Thurman or somebody of that caliber mm-hmm. inside. Um, this year, unless we probably have an over the top look of a of a rim runner. Um, where a guy's getting a layup, we, we may not have a guy that's going to run, you know, duck in and post. So we're probably going to look to just reverse the ball as quickly as possible. And we just want to put the defense on their heels. We want mm-hmm. to attack. Uh, we want to advance it with the pass. We want to sprint. We just want to put a lot of pressure on the defense to have to do those things we were just talking about, which is to get back, to communicate, to match up. And, and we hope we hope they make a mistake. And if they make a mistake, the thing about pushing every time is that you don't know which time they're going to make the mistake. And if you if you decided to walk the ball at the floor that possession and the defense was unorganized, you probably didn't take advantage of it. But if you do it for 32 minutes and you push, push, push. Then if they you know five times they forget to communicate or stop the ball or something, that might be five times that you score that you might not have otherwise. So, Ward it's going to look to play back, push. We'll, you know probably still run a number break on made shot miss shot it might be and if you want to be the point guard then be a good defensive rebounder we'll let you bring in. you know what I mean that yep. type of thing and then everybody else just get out and sprint and then you know push and once we get the ball reversed then get into our stuff offensively whatever it is that we're, whatever it is that we're running
0: how important is it to allow your kids to make mistakes in in these situations like you, in order to get that pace, you're also going to have to live with some turnovers, uh, You know, maybe a, a couple of poor decisions here and there. Uh, but overall, throughout the, the length of the 32-minute game, the good's going to outweigh the bad. Is that kind of the way you guys think as well?
1: Yeah, you certainly hope that. I mean, there's no question. If you wanted to reduce, reduce turnovers, you know, maybe you just walk the ball before every time and, and you run on a set. I think you would probably end up with a lower turnover statistics at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, and, and this is, you know, I mean, I, I would play differently. And maybe if I was coaching somewhere else or I was coaching a different level of talent. I think we're pretty good. I think that we have a bunch of guys that are good decision makers and have good ball handling skills. Mm-hmm. So I hope that we can play fast and still keep our turno- turnover numbers low. But there's no question. If you're going to push it and really try to advance it and take some chances in transition, you're going to turn it over a little bit more. And you have to you have to be willing to look at the end of the day and say, yeah, but that was to our advantage. We created more possession, and that was good for
0: us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know not just over these 32 minutes but over the course of the season we think statistically that plays out in our in our favor. That's it's one of the things I've always tried to preach with my teams we're, we're going to make mistakes but let's let them be aggressive mistakes. Let's let's have them be mistakes where we're we're trying to attack, we're trying to make things happen and those are the mistakes I can live with because we're we're looking to make a play and we're trying to make uh, something strong happen, uh, especially the first 29 minutes or so of the game. Uh, you know, once you get into those last three minutes, then the mindset shifts a little bit, you, you know, if you're in a close game, but uh, that's something I've always tried to do. And it sounds like that's kind of what you guys are, are, are doing down there at Omaha central as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yep. Um, let's talk a little, Uh, I got two more things I want to talk to you about. Um, but if anything else pops up, you want to bring it up there, coach, you, um, Let's talk about your half-court defense and and what you guys teach, how you teach it, um, your your philosophy uh, in that regard. I think it's uh, really interesting. You've you've mentioned a few times here that you've you've got five ones and twos that you're going to be starting this year, so uh, you don't have uh, a big man to anchor uh, the middle of your defense and protect the rim in a traditional sense. Uh, so I'll be interested to hear uh, what you guys are what you're doing here and 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 you know, different things you're doing to prevent teams from scoring on you five on five?
1: Sure, sure. No, I mean, go back to your Don Meyer quote, quickness, you know, determines uh, the level of pressure that you can bring. And and certainly that's something we're looking at as we prepare for this season. I mean, we're pretty quick across the board. So I think that ball pressure is going to be really important for us. And and I'm a big believer that both offensively and defensively, I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to have to run things and implement things that play to your personnel. And for, but for us this year, um, we're, we're probably a team. I look at a couple of things. I, I look at a couple of things. If you talk about the base of team's defense. Mm-hmm. One is, are you denying one pass away? I consider that. I
0: consider the choice between gaps and like on the line, up the line. Like mm-hmm. that's like the first choice I'm making as a coach. Are we going to be out and deny the next pass? Or are we going to play gaps? I think it used to be more common for people to get out and deny one way, mm-hmm. I think, yep. recently. And, and some of it is just some of the college coaches that have been so successful, the Tom it of the world, and some guys like that, that
1: have that... Tony you know, Bennett. Um, Tony Bennett, yep. I was in Wisconsin, I was actually going to say
0: Dick Bennett yep. first, but, Yeah, but, um, we're showing our age, you know, like, we're showing our age, yeah, coach, yeah. when we start Dick, uh, we, we say Dick okay. Bennett instead of Tony Bennett. Yeah. But, but I think that gaps really, you know, statistically, I think people started to look and
1: say, man, it was, um, whereas it used to be maybe more popular to deny, just that difficulty in, can I get off if, if there's, you know, we used to do a lot of drills where it was like, I'm in that denial position and the ball drives at me and I got to jump to the gap and then recover and that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of people just said, I don't know, that maybe just sitting in the gap initially is a better bet and then just closing out on the catch because that pass isn't really a penetrating pass. It's not really getting the getting them any closer to the rim or closer to scoring if it's just a perimeter pass. So we've we've been more of a gaps team that denied mm-hmm. penetrating passes but not necessarily perimeter passes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that I think we have to look at for this year because we do have, like I
1: said, um, we have five guards it's gonna be a challenge for us guarding big post players and, and one of the things we may have to do is get back out in those gaps because keep it off the wing because once it gets to the wing obviously that is is a, a better angle, better position to try to post it up from. So that that's something I think that's the first choice is gaps versus versus denial. But then I think the second big thing and it's just become more and more prevalent is ball screen. How you guard ball screen is like there's there's so many things you can do And uh, with my team this year, I think switching is going to be, you know, one of the things we do a lot of, um, which we've done. Like last year, I did have a bigger kid in the middle, and we switched one through four. Uh We hedged or showed from the five spot. And, um, you know, this year, without really having a true center, we may do more switching and trapping uh you know i mean those are different calls obviously we may our base might just be switching every ball screen and then but we might have trapping calls as a change-up um i don't know how much if i've got two six-foot guards i'm not sure the benefit of you know hedge recovery is a difficult thing that you have to like drill and drill and drill mm-hmm. i don't know if you have two if you have two like-sized guys if it's worth taking the time to drilling hedge recover when they're, they're virtually the same size.
0: you know, Agreed. United, oh. I, think, I think switching or trapping or doing something
1: uh, like that would benefit our team this year probably a lot more. So we may not, I don't know, we don't really have a five-man we're going to play, so I don't know if we'll, if we'll spend one minute on any sort of hedge type of drills, but in years past, there's been times that we've done uh, a whole bunch of that. And then, of course, some mm-hmm. people go with the down or the ice philosophy mm-hmm. on ball screen these days as well. So, But those, those to me, are the two biggest things like when you talk talking man defense. Like, how we're going to play that one pass away and how we're going to guard ball screen. So we kind of start there. Um, I'm a big believer, as most people are, in, you in know, weak side help. We call it the weak side eye. Mm-hmm. So we have the ball on the side of the floor. Um, we're pretty straight up with the ball in the middle. We're going to try to pressure the basketball, um, pressure without fouling. We're going to really try to reduce the number of times our opponents can score from the foul line, score when the mm-hmm. clock stops. Um, we'll probably front the post as a rule mm-hmm. um, because I think we have to. And if we're going to front, we've got to get great backside help. So all of our drills and everything that we do, whether it's
0: live or drill work, is going to be you know, kind of predicated on what we need to do as a team defensively to uh, try to give ourselves the best chance do you see yourself uh what do how do you feel about uh switching uh just going yeah just just five five man switching you you said switching on ball screens but what about a a, an away screen or a a pin down or that type of thing um would you consider jumping into into that like you said with with five pretty interchangeable kids
1: it's something, I mean, the, the ball screen is one thing. Uh, stuff off the ball is another. We typically, it, it, it's dependent on the year and on mm-hmm. the level of communication. We play some people that are really good at slipping, and so I'm setting a pin down away, and, and I know you guys are going to switch. We, you know, we'll, we'll give up some slips and some stuff on that sometimes, so I, I'm a little more weary of that. Mm-hmm. I feel like we do a pretty good job of teaching. Um, fighting and, and stuff away from the ball, uh, but it's certainly something to think about because it, sometimes that fight, you know what I mean, If you're again, if you're same size guys, you don't necessarily have to. Um, it opens up the opportunity of switching, to switch away from the ball as well, but I always think switching away from the ball is, is it can be really vulnerable against really intelligent teams that, that slip a lot mm-hmm. and, and so you really have to communicate you really have to have some counters uh, versus what people are going to try to do against
0: that to beat you. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk, uh, last thing here. Uh, give us one good baseline out-of-bounds play and one good sideline out-of-bounds play.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's say a baseline out, we're in a 1-4 low. Okay. And I'm going to put my, let's have our point guard take it out. Okay.
0: Just because
1: that's what we usually do. I'm going to put my bigs on the same side. So we'll put our five on the ball side corner, our four on the ball side block. Let's put our two guard on the weak side block and our three in the weak side corner. Okay. So we're one, we're one four low. The two guards are kind of on one side, the two bigs are on one. Our two man is going to set a cross pick for the four. Who's going to dive to the weak side block.
2: Mm-hmm. And now five is going to step about halfway in between Three point
1: line on the block and screen two to the corner uh, to let's call him our best shooter. Mm-hmm. So we're running our shooter off, but we're also really looking for five on a slip. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they show out at all, if they switch, like we were just talking about, we're looking for five on a slip. Now, if we were running, one thing I do like each year, I don't run the same baseline outs each year, but I try mm-hmm. to run baseline outs out of the same formation. Yep. So If I was going to run a box set, I'm going to run five box sets mm-hmm. so you can't tell what we're running just based on how we line up if I'm going to run one 4 zero, then I'm going to run three or four different things out of that same formation so you can't just tell by how we line up what play we're running yep. so that's one that's one play Really, that, that's really good I think We played Drenton the last year. I think they scored
0: three times on that play against us. So sometimes if I see it work for other people, we just steal it and make it ours. So that's one that I like. Uh, It's a copycat game, isn't it, Coach? It really is. Yeah. It really is a copycat game. Yeah. Uh, Last thing, one good sideline out-of-bounds play.
1: Sure. Let's let's say this is called Husker. Um, Okay. Again, I got my
0: point guard taking it out. I'm assuming we're sidelines, you know, obviously, but hash mark close enough that we're, sure. we're going to score. Um, I got my guards on the block and my big
1: at the elbow. So let's put that two guard that's our best shooter on the ball side block. Let's put our three on the weak side block. Let's put our five on the weak side elbow and our four on the ball side elbow. Um, two is just going to cross-pick for three. He's going to sprint to the corner. And then two is going to come off an elevator from four and five to the top of
0: the key. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Husker, but we also would like to have a slip option for five. I think this is a very Collier play from Nebraska the last Oh, now you're really dating yourself here. Yeah, Barry
1: yeah. Collier has some really good. I had his playbook in, I he has really good. I mean, I, we, we don't necessarily play like Barry Collier's Nebraska sure. teams play in terms of, like, if we don't run. All the sets and, and but man, he got some really good stuff. He wants some to Look up some of the stuff that they ran. But now we're gonna flip it, so we're gonna run the same play, but if we call a Husker Flip. The five is now just gonna as soon as two gets to his shoulder, five is gonna dive to the backside of the rim, which is totally vacant. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we see the first time we ran that X five and out a little bit you feel like you can get that slip right to the back side. That doesn't have to be a dunk. I mean, you know, if you could get a layup uh, just by throwing it to the back side there, that could be a
0: pretty effective play. Mm-hmm. That or you could even, like, after your two runs through that elevator, uh, your, your four could screen for your five and have the five curl off of that, and you could hit them off that yeah. curl action as well, too.
1: And five, in all honesty, as two comes off there, five can flip and step right into a side ball screen where, like, now three is coming off, and they're kind of there's you know there's nobody on that side of the floor, so I'll, now two and five are just kind of playing side pick and roll on one side of the floor. Mm-hmm.
0: You can do a number of things off of that, but that's kind of the base yep. of the play. Yep. 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 And then you're running your different options off of that, depending on what personnel you got and what your kids are capable of doing. Absolutely. Uh, this year,
1: the counter to us being able to switch everything is other people might be able to switch everything against us because we don't have that. You know, if our six foot one point guard and our six foot two five man are ball screening for one another, um,
0: I'm not sure what our advantage is out of that. Sure, we might just switch that right back against us. So we'll see. Yep, yep. Uh, Coach, any social any social media that you want to share with our listeners to follow your program? Um, I don't know if at Hickory Huskers is taken or not. <laughs> uh, at at Coach Normandale. I, I am one
1: of the last remaining human beings. I have no social media whatsoever. We do have a central basketball um, <laughs> Twitter account that my uh, our head football coach is also my assistant basketball coach Jay Lancer. He runs that, but I literally do not have a Facebook or Twitter or any social media whatsoever. Um, so, so no, no, Just if you want to follow us at our central uh, Twitter account, that'd be
0: great. And uh, Coach Lance does a great job running that for us. Okay, you, uh, you still using like uh, uh, kerosene lanterns to, to read from at night then as well? <laughs> I just. I just have never gotten into the social media
1: thing, so I just, don't, uh, I just don't mess with it too much on a personal level, but, like, from a basketball standpoint, yeah, we do have one for Central yeah. Basketball. We post we post stuff throughout the season and the off-season about it, but uh, I read that in the hands of, of uh, like I said, my assistant coach, who does a great job running
0: it for us. Yeah. Uh, truth be told, I've, um, the last, I don't know, week to 10 days, I've just pretty much, uh, especially like with the Facebook stuff, I've... I've hardly looked at it just because of the the toxicity uh, with so many things that are that are out there right now on you know especially with like with the political stuff and and uh, as a social studies teacher I take my job pretty pretty seriously about giving both sides of, of arguments and stuff like that and and uh, yeah I've i just got to the point where I just I just couldn't look at it anymore I mean I just had to pretty much shut it down and and my 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 life has been much easier since then coach so <laughs> it's 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 been uh, much less stressful uh but uh i yeah.
1: yeah. i've yet to read a study that said social media enhances our uh, self. <laughs> psychology or, or benefits us mentally or anything. I've yet to read anything that said that. So I start seeing that. that and, and, and tells me how much more intelligent I'll be if I get onto social media than then maybe I'll start. But so far, most of the stuff I've read has said the opposite. So I pretty much stay stay away from that.
0: Yeah. And, uh, let everybody else worry about it. Very good, very good. Well, Coach, uh want to thank you for your time here this morning. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed being on the podcast. A lot of really, really good information. Um, and, and like I said, I just hope you enjoyed your time being on here and, and helping out other coaches.
1: No, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, you know, good luck to yourself but all the other coaches that might listen to this. Good luck to everybody this season. I know with COVID, everybody's in a difficult situation, and I, I wish everybody certainly – health and safety first and foremost and then yep. secondly
0: uh successful season absolutely so well why don't you hold the line here real quick coach as i wrap things up and and we'll uh, we'll move on here of course we want to thank our sponsor cosac chiropractic for sponsoring the podcast if you're in need of chiropractic services don't hesitate to call dr kevin or dr heidi at 402 300 Don't forget, subscribe to teachhoops.com. Go to teachhoops.com backslash A-P-A-A-N. That's a pen and a napkin. You get a 14-day free trial, so go out and check out teachhoops.com. Follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. That's Twitter handle. Uh, Download, rate, and review the podcast here. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. This has been Coach Eric Behrens, the boys basketball coach at Omaha Central High School. Coaches, as always, let's stay safe, let's pray for peace, and let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.